Without further ado, we come to our first speaker, Dr. Chris Lassig, who's a theoretical particle physicist who now writes about science following the belief that even quantum theory can be communicated plainly. He presents Lost in Science on 3CR Community Radio and has been known to cook model universes live on stage. Chris. Thank you, Aaron. Um, it, is, it is great to be here. I do love speaking at the Labora story. It is, it is wonderful to be amongst your own kind, you know. So, look, can I get an indication? How many, how many scientists do we have here tonight? How many? Or, you know, people who want to be a scientist, who consider themselves a scientist anyway? That's, that's a pretty good sample. Okay, yeah. We've got a, got a stacked room here. Okay, so if you're a scientist, um, I have another question for you. Um, how many of you scientists would love to be able to travel back in time? Yeah, so I thought it's, it's a pretty popular kind of thing. Okay, all right, no, we haven't finished yet. So if you're a scientist and you'd love to be able to travel back in time, keep your hand up if you're actually doing something about it, you're actually trying to build a time machine. Okay, yeah, see... There's pretty much, as far as I know, there is only one physicist in the world who is actually seriously trying to build a time machine. He has a theory, he's doing the experiments. Uh, his name is Ronald Mallet. He's a professor of physics at the University of Connecticut. And he's doing this because he's on a personal mission to change the past. Okay, so Ronald Lawrence Mallet. He was born in 1945. He grew up in the Bronx in New York. And his father, Boyd Mallet, was a TV repairman. And this is obviously a time when television is still fairly new. But Boyd, he was a very clever man. He was very, um, he was very keen on improving himself and his family through knowledge and education. He encouraged his children, well, he, he forced his children to, to listen to classical music and to read poetry. And he would, he would take young Ronald, little Ronald aside, and he would take, take the television apart and he would show them how it all worked and encourage his, his interest in technical things. Uh, so this was all fine, but then, then one night in 1955, uh, after a party they had at their house, and the, the parties at the Mallet House, they were always a big sensation, partly because Boyd had wired up the whole place with speakers, including, supposedly, um, something, a mechanism that played music when you lifted the toilet seat. <laughs> I don't know, to me it sounds fairly annoying, but it was pretty impressive for 1955. Um, yeah, so after this party that night... Uh, Boyd Mallet had a heart attack and he died aged just 33. And you can imagine what it would have been like then for young Ronald Mallet, um, only 10 years old, watching the, the ambulance arrive, um, seeing them try to revive his father and then take him away and then realising, you know, gradually realising the, the impact and things would never be the same again. And it's no wonder that this, this young boy decided that he would have to go back and prevent this tragedy from ever happening. It's not something he decided straight away, though. Um, there was a few distractions. His, um, without their father, the family had no money, and so his mother Dorothy moved them all back to rural Pennsylvania to live with his, his um, live with her family. Uh, and there, as well as being, you know, poor, uh, Ronald encountered racism for the first time, because the Mallet family were African American, and although this was, you know, this was fine in the Bronx, in um, in Pennsylvania, it was a different matter. And so he was, you know, at school, he was the poor black kid. He was also, let's be honest, he was a nerdy kid. And so school wasn't a lot of fun for him. And his father's kind of ideals of education got put to the side a bit. 
And so Ronald, he, he did what nerdy kids have always done, I guess, and he retreated into science fiction. Um, I just want to say, um, in honour of science fiction, obviously today is the 4th of May, so, you know, may the 4th be with you, everybody. Um, what? There are no Star Wars hand signals, okay? There's, it's fine. Um, that's probably some sort of robot. Um, so, yeah, so Ronald, he read a lot of science fiction, and one day in the Salvation Army shop, he found an illustrated comic book version of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. And this is when he decided, this is what, that what he had to do, was build a time machine so he could, he could go back and warn his father and stop this all from ever happening. So he decided that what he would do, he would build the time machine that was on the cover of the book. He, uh, he gathered a whole lot of pieces of junk and using the skills that his father had taught him, he assembled the time machine as he saw it. He pulled the lever. I mean, of course nothing happened. It was a, it was a, he was a kid and it was a picture from a comic book. And that's when he decided that he had to become a physicist. It's a worthy decision. Um, so he rededicated himself to his schoolwork. Um, dedication is necessary but not sufficient, uh, especially when you're a poor kid in, in Pennsylvania. But fortunately, America had the GI Bill, which meant that if you enlisted in the military, then the government would pay for you to pay for your education. So he did. He signed up. Uh, it was the Vietnam War at the time, but he was lucky he got stationed to uh, an Air Force base in Ohio, so he managed to survive the war. Um, after four years, he went to college, and then in 1973, he got his PhD in theoretical physics. Now, this is quite a big deal, because at the time, there were only 79 African Americans out of 20,000 physicists with PhDs in the United States. So that's like less than 0.4%. So he was definitely in the minority and uh, he definitely didn't want to risk his position by revealing that the only reason he was doing it was to build a time machine. <laughs> yeah, so he, he kind of kept it quiet. The only, the only person he told was his wife and he only told her after they were safely married. So, yeah, he, he decided instead that he would, like, keep things hidden by working on more realistic and practical things like um, evaporating black holes. <laughs> it sounds, yeah, look, um, it is actually not entirely off-topic because to, to understand black holes, you need to use gravity, of course, and you need to use Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. And general relativity tells us that gravity bends space and time. So space sort of bends like a rubber sheet around heavy objects like the Earth. You've probably seen this sort of analogy somewhere. And time, well, time is slower in a gravitational field. So time actually runs slower here on Earth than it does out in space. It's a pretty crazy notion. Trust me, it's true. Um, and all this means, all this manipulation of space and time means that maybe if you got it just right, you could actually turn the clock back. And so this is, this is a secret. This is why he was studying this stuff. Um, but, you know, it's still, even though it is kind of a legitimate consequence of relativity, it's not the kind of thing you want to broadcast. So, you know, you want to keep it quiet if you want to be taken seriously. Ask me how I know. <laughs> so this was fine until about the mid-90s when Ronald Mallet had his own brush with death. It turned out that he had inherited the same heart condition as his father. Time, his old nemesis, was catching up with him. And if he wanted to save his father... He, and build a time machine, he really had to get going. Uh, now, it wasn't easy, of course. Um, general relativity. Look, it looks simple. I know you're thinking it looks simple. 
the equation for general relativity, you know, it's, it's about that long, really. Um, a bit longer if you put in the cosmological constant, but we won't get into that. Um, so it looks very simple, it's very elegant, it's very profound, but it's very, 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 very difficult to solve. Fortunately, though, Ronald Mallet, he had the skills, he had the motivation. And he figured out that if you built something, well, he calculated he built something called a ring laser, and this is basically just where you get a laser beam to go around in a ring by using uh, mirrors or a prism or something. And if the laser was extremely powerful, then what it could do is it could twist the space and time inside the ring. And that if you went on a little journey around a loop around the centre of the ring, then you could end up at your starting point before you left. In the business, we call this a closed time-like curve, but that's just a fancy way of saying a time machine. So, and also, because it's just made out of lasers and mirrors and stuff like that, you should be able to build this thing. And indeed, Ronald Mallet is trying to build his time machine. He has made some simple models of it, um, out of, you know, they're about that big and they've got like lasers going around a little cylinder. And he's currently trying to raise money to build a more powerful version that hopefully will be powerful enough that he'll be able to measure this twisting of, of time and see whether the principle actually work. Now, it's still might not be at that stage big enough to send a person back, but it's, he's thinking that it could be possible that you could, say, send subatomic particles like neutrons into the vortex and you'd be able to send messages into the past, which is pretty cool. Being able to communicate with the past is not something to be written off. Of course, there are objections. There are people who think this won't work. Um, you may have heard of someone called Stephen Hawking, for instance. Anyone? Yep. Um, there was a movie about him last year, I believe. Uh, won an Oscar. Um, Stephen Hawking, had, you know, he basically is one of these people who says that you can't travel back in time because it will cause paradoxes. So in Ronald Mallet's case, if he went back and saved his father, then that may not give him the incentive to become a physicist and he may not build the time machine, not go back and save his father, etc., etc., etc. You see, that's a problem. This is an inherent issue with any kind of time travel. Um, you know, there are many ideas of getting around this. Usually they involved just don't touch anything. Don't kill the butterfly. <laughs> that's not going to work for Ronald Mallet because that's the whole point of him going back. He wants to change things. So, you know, it's also possible that he's just, you know, these theories, I say, maybe he's got the sums wrong and the machine won't work. Uh, another problem, which even if the, the time machine does work, uh, was, well, he talks about this in his autobiography, which is called The Time Traveller. I recommend looking that up if you want to read more about him. Um, but in this book, he claims that, I'm not sure whether this story is true, by the way, um, he claims that when he presented his theory at a conference, uh, an eminent physicist stood up and said, do you realise that if your, if your theory is correct, you will only ever go, be able to go back as far as when the machine was first built. You'll never be able to go back and, and see your father. And Ronald Mallet says that he, at the point he turned around and looked at the blackboard and said, oh, you're right. Now, I mean, it's pretty obvious, I would have thought, you know, with the nature of the time machine. And this guy was working on it for years, so I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have known that, but that's a story he tells. So that is a kind of a slight problem with the whole saving your father thing. Um, there is one other problem that, um, that really intrigues me, and this is, even if the, the time machine works, even if it's possible for him to go back uh, 60 years and see his father, and even if he is able to actually interfere with past events and not create paradoxes and that sort of thing, then would he actually be able to make any difference as well? Because 
the um, the heart condition that he experiment that he inherited, it turns out that his grandfather had had it as well. And so his father actually knew about it at the time and he was taking treatment, he was taking medication. It's just that little 10-year-old Ronald was never told about it. So, you know, it kind of raises the question, if he actually went and spoke to his father, would he be able to change anything, would he be able to make anything happen differently? And to me, this kind of... This is kind of like a deep philosophical question because it makes me wonder about what influence any of us have on you know, the things that happen to ourselves and our loved ones. And you know, even if you have a time machine that you can't change the course of events, what can any of us do, really? Well, for Ronald Mallet, what he can do, what he hopes to do, is he hopes to actually go back and see his father one last time. So he's 71 now, uh, he's, about, he's nearly 40 years older than his father ever was. Um, he is a world famous physicist, he is an awarded science educator, he is possibly the inventor of the world's first time machine. Um, I think he's more than easily fulfilled his father's dreams of an education and I think, um, I think his father would be very proud to see his son now. So yeah, that's Ronald Mallet, thank you.